0: Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. Well, good morning again. I want to say a couple of things really quickly before we get into the message itself, Uh, one of which is this— if you if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, but you have never followed Him in baptism, I want to encourage you uh, to talk with me before you leave today. That may be your next best decision uh, to do that. Never be easier than it is right now. And so, if you'd like to have a conversation about what that would look like, I'd love to love to have that conversation uh, with you. Uh, the second is as o- over the course of the last six months or so. Have really been evaluating our strategies as a church, as it pertains to Jesus's expectation of the church, and and where where is you know we've really been able to to scale back and to almost ask launching questions again, and uh, and so we've been doing that as a church and talked about di- uh, discipleship strategies. I mean, really, our our mission statement or vision statement is reduced to making disciples so how well does the church do that that's not a great question the, the real question would be how do, how how does our church do that and so you know without talking about that a great deal uh we've been praying and asking the lord what does it look like for, for us as a church to just be much more intentional about that and uh and so this coming weekend, we're going to be having a discipleship conference. I know it's a weird time to have a conference, uh, but, uh, but it's a great time to make disciples. And so this coming weekend, Saturday morning, beginning at 830, we're going to have uh, a guest speaker coming in from, uh, from out of state, from Orlando. He's going to be here sharing with us, uh, and, and we're going to begin to launch some discipleship groups. And that's not about that's not about learning more. That's, that's more about learning the model of Jesus. And so I just want to make a blanket invite to everyone. And even if you're at home, we will be socially distanced and all of those things will be abiding by all the guidelines. But uh, at 8.30 Saturday morning, we're going to be having that. And he's going to be reinforcing what I believe the Lord has been teaching us as a church uh, probably forever, but we've been listening over the last few months. And so I really wanted to give that to you and ask that you be in prayer about maybe attending that. I think it'll be really rich and meaningful as we deepen our opportunities. And, and we embolden ourselves and, uh, with both accountability and with intention because, uh, again, I this shouldn't be a negative statement. But I believe that the kingdom of heaven is close. Uh, I believe that that uh, Jesus is coming back very, very quickly, and and I would even say if He continues to delay His coming, uh, we're going to continue to move into a world of chaos and crisis, and uh, we've never had a greater opportunity to do what we're about to do. And so, I feel like there are different days, difficult days for Christianity very, very soon. And it would make sense for us to go ahead and prepare that we're not hunkering down, but we are, well, Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against it and so that we will go to war with hell itself. That's actually a prophecy, I believe, that Jesus is telling us is that we will have to engage conflict and we might as well do it uh, prepared rather than reactionary. Okay, all of that being said, it's exactly what we're going to talk about today. That's the introduction, Matthew chapter 5. Today's the final message of the Beatitudes, which if you remember the word Beatitude is, uh, is translated from Latin, which is translated from Greek, which just simply means flourishing. Flourishing. It means that this is the life that leads to flourishing. You will flourish. You will be doubly blessed if you can exhibit these these characteristics. And so it's, it's odd when you make your way through this passage of Scripture, the things that Jesus says we must manifest is difficult because they're, they're not natural to us. They are supernatural. And so we have to have an outside cause enacting upon us, which we know is the manifest presence of God Himself that causes us to want a relationship with Him. He is the initial causer of our desire for anything. And so as we are pursuing that and saying yes to that, these are the characteristics that begin to follow and flow out of, a, of, that, uh, of that relationship uh, with Him. So, so when you look at it, it's the exact opposite. In fact, it could not be more different than the way the world tells us to pursue blessing. Uh, I'm not going to go back into all of that today, but you would think at the end of of the here's how you will be blessed, here's what a flourishing life looks like, you would think, okay, I'm gonna endure all of this difficulty, I'm gonna endure all of this ter- these terrible things that my, spirit, my flesh does not want because at the end, I'm gonna have something awesome. But here today is the end. Here is the, 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 the pinnacle of what you can expect and Jesus says it's persecution the thing that we all look forward to, right? So let's begin in verse one uh, and, uh, and we'll catch up. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And that's the transition right there. That's the transformation when we are adopted into the family of God. And today, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, wait a minute. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And when you finally reach into righteousness and begin to produce righteousness, the axe falls. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so, th- for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Lord, we thank you for your word. Without it, we would never, ever figure this out. And so I just pray for you to continue to illuminate our minds and our spirits so that we can be obediently walking with you and, and having you walk through our, uh, our walk. Lord, may others see you through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, try to remember, I think this is a significant, significant shift of the discipleship process. Where for most of our lives, whether directly or indirectly or intentionally or unintentionally, we have been taught about the blessings of God in our life. That the blessings of God are for me. And what can God do for me? What does God do to me? But what we learn from what Jesus has to say is that the blessings aren't to us, the blessings are through us. So while we benefit from the blessings of God, we are not the end user, we are not the final beneficiary of that. All the blessings of God are given as such that they flow through us into the world. That's the whole reason we are blessed, is to be a blessing. Try to remember that. There is a, a, a two words in English that are used so often in Scripture, when you begin to see when God manifests Himself to someone or blesses someone, He usually includes a so that. You know, so the blessing isn't the goal, the so that is the goal, and that is that the blessing be given away. So today we're looking at verse 10, 11, and 12. These three verses then make up the eighth beatitude. And we've looked at the first seven. We're not gonna go back all through, uh, through all of those. But as we look at verses 10, 11, and 12 today, we see that there's something significantly different about this particular eighth beatitude. It is the culmination. It is the final one that Jesus mentioned. But here I see at least three differences that I'd like for you to take note of. It, it does seem to be singled out, to be, to be important. I won't say more important because it is impossible to have an eighth beatitude without the seven before it. Remember, they are a progression that builds upon the other. But it is of supreme importance to the movement that Jesus is creating and as he stands and as he preaches, he wants to emphasize them that this is the concluding beatitude and that it is of supreme importance to the movement. How do we know that? Well, first of all, it's repeated. It's the only one that's repeated. We find it in verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted. And then in verse 11, the Lord seems to be repeating himself, blessed are you. He's emphasizing the importance of this particular beatitude. But secondly, not only is it repeated, but look at what he says in verse 10. Blessed are what? Blessed are the very the word, just the next word, blessed are those. Blessed are those. Right? Blessed are they. Blessed are all y'all in the south. In verse 11. Look, there's a difference. Blessed are you. Now, while you can in English use the word you as you or you, in Greek, this word is the word sou. It's actually S-Y, but it's sou. And the word is, anybody guess between plural and singular? Singular, nailed it. Blessed are you. It's an individual suffering. I think this emphasizes the importance as well. Blessed are those, blessed are they, but you're not going to escape it. Blessed are you. You know how, which would you'd rather be persecuted in? A group or all by yourself? Oh, yeah, of course, misery loves company. Finally, I got you. Blessed are you when men shall revile you, singular. When they persecute you, singular. When they say all manner of evil or they speak harshly against you, falsely. All of the rest, and we talked about this the very first week, all of the rest of the Beatitudes are plural. They, those, them. All y'all. But the Lord is emphasizing this one. So, when you are able to walk in community all the way through the growing curve of Christ likeness, at the end of the day, you're going to be per- you have some personal responsibility. The third, not just the repetition or the personal, the individual person, but there's also the position. And that is that it is the last beatitude. It's the it's the pinnacle, it's the climax of what Jesus has been saying to them all along, what the others that had listened to the Sermon on the Mount, it's the culmination of everything else Jesus had already taught. In fact, he is saying pretty much that this is the goal, this is the result that we're looking for. So you go through all of these things where you may be able to receive comfort and blessing and and you know inherit the earth and independence and freedoms and and your and peace. And, and mercy and you're going to get all of those benefits and we start kind of getting hey that's what I want I want to be satisfied I, I want to be able to have peace I want to be able to be called the sons of God I want to be able to be you know, really just persecuted that's well, I didn't see that coming nobody would have seen how would you feel if Jesus were setting you up and then say and here's how you know you got it They won't put you on a cross Here's what the little word persecute means. In the language, it comes from the root idea of to pursue or to chase. Now, when I was a kid, we liked to play chase, right? You like to run, play tag or whatever and, and pursue each other. Or even in a dating relationship, you know, one is pursuing the other. But this word doesn't mean exactly that. This word is like a hound chasing a fox. It's, it's, a, it's a dog pursuing prey, running it into the ground and waiting for a moment of weakness to destroy it. That's what the word persecute means. So, brothers and sisters, you will be doubly happy when the world is chasing you into the ground waiting for your weak moment. Yes. A good translation of this word in English would be the word harass. We don't use persecute very often, but the word harass is a good translation. Jesus is saying, blessed are the harassed. In fact, blessed are you when you are harassed. Blessed are you when men harass you, when they revile you, when they utter lies About you. Jesus uses three separate terms here to talk about persecution revile, persecute, and to speak falsely. That first word, to revile, it actually means to find fault as a way of shaming, it means to demean. He's not using superlative words just to fill in, you know, he's not a Baptist preacher that has to have three words to prove his point. Jesus is using three completely different illustrations to put it all under the same umbrella. This form of persecution is emotional persecution. It's when people make you feel less than, right? It's emotional persecution. The second word is translated persecute. We've already talked about that, but it does mean to harass because of one's belief. The literal translation of that means towards the teeth, So if you think about what does it mean towards the teeth, not hot fudge cake, (laughs) that's terrible as that is, it's rocks being thrown, trying to really, really ruin your life. This is physical persecution. It's a hands-on. It leads to all sorts of physical problems and, and physical harm and ultimately can include even murder. The third phrase is to speak all kinds of evil falsely. Clearly, that's not physical persecution. It's not emotional persecution. It's verbal persecution. People just just say things about you. Not to your face. That's to revile you. But behind your back. And they're lying about you. So what Jesus is saying is that there's three separate ways that you're going to experience personal harm because you've said yes To Jesus' kingdom. Now there are sometimes, there are messages that are really hard for pastors to preach. And I'm going to be quite honest with you. This one isn't. But it's really hard to hear. And as a Christian, it's hard for me to hear this. But this message is so easy because Jesus preached it so well. It just is what it is. It's not complicated. So what do you think their reaction was when they hear this mounting tension of the big payoff and then they find that the payoff is actually their worst nightmare? Would be the same as yours. What would you think if I said, hey, got a special treat for you guys. When you leave, there's going to be a guy with a gun shooting us one by one as we leave today. We would probably not celebrate with applause. We'd probably find another non sanctioned exit. Wait, so Jesus is saying, and remember, Jesus isn't just telling us eight things that we ought to do, He's telling us one thing. Remember? They just build on each other. They're building one thing. That progression all the way through from the very beginning is to understand that we have nothing to offer God, we are spiritually poor. We are garbage in comparison to God's excellencies. When you begin to build from that, one gives birth to the next. And so what are we building as we've seen it over the weeks is we're building Christ's likeness. You hunger and thirst after righteousness, right? So we are pursuing Jesus. And as we are pursuing Jesus, guess what's pursuing us? The very enemies of Jesus But we're the ones out front because we're looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So because by nature we are learning to pursue Jesus, we have Jesus' target on our back. This is why Jesus was able to say, by the way, you follow me, that they hated me. We'll talk about that in a minute. We've seen all along the exact opposite of what we thought we would think. If I were to write the Beatitudes, if you were to just read the paper or consult with your friends, say, blessed are the wealthy, blessed are the happy, blessed are the fool, blessed are the influential, blessed are the strong, blessed are the, the, the comfortable, blessed are those who are satisfied. No, no, no. What Jesus says is, If you experience suffering here, the result will be a perfect kingdom and blessing later. But if you want perfection and blessing here, you want to have suffering later. Now the later will always result in eternity. So if you want to do the suffering here while you're becoming like Jesus you will have all eternity to experience the kingdom of heaven. But if you want to experience your best life in this world, eternity is a long time to experience the suffering that comes from separation from God. Also notice that the first blessing is the same as the last blessing. To me, it's it's just a cinch that puts them all into one life. Right. These are not eight separate things. They're one thing. Blessed are those that are poor in spirit, for they shall have the kingdom of God, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You See, it's bookends because it's all one thing. You don't just jump into one. It's all one thing. For incentive... And motivation to continue, and uh, wait while we wait for the kingdom of heaven. That's what we want. That's the goal. While we wait for the kingdom of heaven to come, we get all of these other blessings. In in while while we wait in the middle, right? Mercy, peace, sons of God, inherit the earth. While we're waiting, we get the kingdom of God. The goal is the kingdom of heaven. Think about the scribes and the Pharisees. you imagine? We've already talked about this just a little bit, but if you imagine them listening to him, and this was the greatest religious nonsense they had ever heard in their life. And while they were clearly Jewish and following the Old Testament, this went 100% against anything that they had ever learned or believed. Why do I think that? Well, if you turn over to Acts chapter 28, verses 3 and 4, you don't have to turn there. Uh, I'm just going to tell you the story, but mark it. Go back and read it later. But the story is of the apostle Paul. He's on one of his missionary journeys. And, and what Paul does is he gets to this place where uh, they're, they're pagans and you know, they're, they're Gentiles. Uh, they're not, they're, they've never even heard the gospel of Jesus. But, but Paul wants to be a blessing to them. And so he goes over and he gets a bunch of kindling and he brings it over to start a fire. Well, so he puts the sticks down. And as he does, what happens? He grabs a hold of his arm deadly poisonous snake. And all of these pagans look at Paul and said, oh, dude, you, what did you do to deserve that? You are a bad, bad man to deserve that. Now, they didn't mean to, but what they were believing was bad things happen to. So it says that they sat back and waited for that arm to swell and the arm did not swell and that's how Paul got promoted to God because everybody knows good things happen to good people so bad things happen to bad people we believe that good things happen to good people we believe that what we have just done is we have affirmed the prosperity gospel which by the way Jesus doesn't teach in fact this is where Jesus doesn't teach that Jesus actually teaches the pinnacle of your righteousness is Jesus Christ. When you achieve it, bad things happen. In fact, you go back all the way through Scripture and you will see the antithesis of this karma idea that comes straight from hell itself. It creates so much confusion. Think about it. When bad things happen, what do you think? What did I do to deserve this? And when good things happen, we pat ourselves on the back for being good people. What we've been done, we've we've been lulled into this false belief and it's even crept into Christianity. A lot of churches teach this. If you want good things, be good people. You don't want bad things to happen, don't be bad. It's not what Jesus teaches. Jesus said in fact that's not true. Jesus actually tells them, my kingdom is in your hearts. I come into this place as a peacemaker. Not to make peace in your homes or in your work or in your government and in your wallet. Listen, I I don't know how to say this clearly. I just don't have a very big platform. But to think that Jesus, to think that the government is Jesus's goal in this life is ridiculous. America is not the center of God's hope. Your heart is. And whether your heart is in America or your heart is Uganda or your heart is in the Philippines, Jesus Christ is the hope. He came to establish a kingdom, not on earth, not in the dirt, in our hearts. The government can't take that away from you. You know, it's funny. We say things like, boy, America needs to turn their life back to Jesus. Is that true? Yeah, not a trick question. Of course. Of course. But it's really easy to say America when 95% of Christians don't share their faith with the people they know is lost. Wait a minute, America doesn't exist. America is people that are lost without Jesus. You want Jesus to do the work that you're not willing to do? No, that's why we're going through suffering right now and persecution right now. And we'll continue to. It's because we've not brought Jesus into the forefront of the hearts of people. Not into government. If you were to turn to John chapter 9, you'll see the disciples asked Jesus about that man that was born blind. They looked at Jesus and said, Who sinned, this man or his mom and dad? And Jesus said, mm, Bad things happen to good people, brothers. This, this actually, he's been blind for 40 years so that I could say this. What Jesus said is he, his peace is going to tear up homes. His peace is going to make it difficult for you to have a lot of relationships. Try to put yourself in their position. They're waiting for military, economic, political, religious leader. He comes out with these words. Blessed are they when people take advantage of you. When they insult you, when they revile you, when they persecute you, when they say all oh, manner of evil about you, you're blessed, you're accepted with God and the smile of God is upon your life. When the world says what a terrible thing to happen to somebody, just that's the smile of God. Now I want to stop for a moment. <clears throat> we' well, not stop, but I want to pause in that for a moment. And, and just read all of that out, right? Blessed are those who are persecuted for what? For righteousness' sake. That's very important because the blessing doesn't belong to us just because we're experiencing difficulty. We don't get to say, I had a really bad day. I feel like everybody's against me. And that's the blessing of God. That's not what Jesus is saying. Some people have, and, and, and I mean this with a, as soft as heart as I can... Some people have a lot of difficulty in their life because they are difficult people, right? They're insensitive, they're obnoxious, drama-ridden, rude, arrogant hypocrites. And we go around looking to make people mad and patting ourselves on the back that, you know, nobody likes me because I'm a Christian and I say all kinds of stuff people don't like to hear. This, he doesn't say that people will persecute you because of your preaching is offensive, but because you look and act like Jesus Because when the world sees you, they see him and they hear him. That's why we're persecuted. Not because you're difficult or because you have bad days or because you are so insensitive and you're just sandpaper rubbing everybody the wrong way. That's not the blessing. The Lord is saying here that is the cause of righteousness and more importantly, the character of righteousness that will be persecuted You see, last week we talked about those that are peacemakers. When we receive Jesus Christ, we have peace of God and we have peace with God. And so what will happen there is everybody wants peace, but everybody doesn't want peace with Jesus. Some people, Jesus even said, we talked about it last week, that that. My peace I leave with you, not peace that the world gives. Well, listen, some people are satisfied with the world's peace because the world's peace brings them temporary comfort, temporary blessing, temporary fullness, temporary mercy, temporary everything. It doesn't last for very long, but I don't need it for very long. I just want to feel it right now. And so you start coming in here talking to me about life change and judgment days and and all of this Jesus stuff on top of me. I don't want to hear anything about that. Jesus has no right over me. I don't want to put myself under Jesus' authority. So when you start talking the voice of Jesus, you just go ahead and know the world don't want Jesus' peace. They They want a false peace, a temporary peace. They want a fix. They don't want the fix. Jesus goes on to say the secret of what this righteousness sake really means. If you look at verse 10, he talked about righteousness sake. And then in verse 11, he says, Blessed are you revile you, persecute you, and say all manner of evil against you falsely. That's the secret. You see, if you're poor in spirit, if you're mournful over your sin, if you're meek, if, you're, if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, after Jesus himself, if you're merciful, if you're pure, if you're a peacemaker, you're going to be persecuted. Period. Now, persecuted doesn't necessarily mean beaten. It doesn't necessarily mean burned at the stake. It doesn't necessarily mean rock stone at your teeth. But people want to say things about you. That's okay. What matters is what Jesus says about you. People are going to do things behind your back. That's okay because Jesus is in front of you. Keep your eyes on him. Don't worry about what's taking place behind your back. And sometimes you may have to go through difficulties. Some of you, if you're obeying Jesus, you may lose your jobs for it. You know what? That's okay. Jesus is in front of us. We may have to go through some difficulty. That's okay, it's proof of God's smile and God will always take care of us and we need to be reminded of that, not to hide behind all of our safety mechanisms and not upset the apple cart too much. That will never produce this. That will never produce the smile of God. Obedience does. Jesus says you will be persecuted for my sake because if you live like that, then you will be living out my life. Watch me live. And if you model, if you walk after my model, they hate me. They're gonna put me on the cross. Do you think you're better than I am? That's what I think Jesus is really saying. This is why he said, a servant is not greater than his master. What is greater? No persecution, please. Wait a minute. Jesus produced the Beatitudes in his life. Everything he's asking of us, he did perfectly. What did it cost him? His, his earthly life. You think that you can have the Christ-like attitudes in you and experience greater than he did? You could be a better Jesus than Jesus? No, we know that's not true, right? I mean, really, we know that that's not true. But we live like it is. We live like it's true. We we avoid being too Christ-like because we know what Christ like will attract. What do we say? What will people think about me? What will it do to my reputation? Huh, that's reviling us. What will people say about me behind my back? What will all my friends say about me when I'm not around? The Jesus talks about that. You know what they're going to say about you if you're living out Christ. How many times did Jesus walk up in a crowd and his disciples stopped talking because they were talking about him behind his back? I told you it's hard to listen to John fifteen verses eighteen to twenty Jesus what Jesus said, If the world hates you, no, it hated me first. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you 're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. remember. The word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. We take not being, and listen closely, I want you to hear this. I think we're guilty of taking not being persecuted as a symbol of our goodness. Because we buy the, if I'm good, good things happen. So because I'm not being persecuted, I'm doing it right. It's a symbol of our goodness and, and his goodness to us. God is so good to me. How do I know? Because I don't, I don't get persecuted. I don't have difficulty. My life is so great. It's so wonderful. God is so good to me. But listen, not experiencing persecution according to Jesus It may be a sign that He isn't in us and He isn't coming out of us. It may not be a sign of His favor. It may be a sign of His absence in your life. It's not our brashness or our delivery that's persecuted. Some take that as a merit badge. I know a lot of pastors who try to be as offensive as they can to make people angry to get them into the kingdom. That's not what Jesus is talking about. It is our Christ-likeness that people will hate. If everyone loves you, you're not producing Jesus. That's That's our guilt. We're not producing Jesus. We call ourselves Christian, but we don't walk like Jesus. The world's always hated it. All through history, they've hated people who are like God. Listen to what Paul even told Timothy, 1 Timothy 3 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, harassed, verbally, emotionally, physically. You will experience some form of rejection from the world. If your goal is to be received by the world, you're missing it. That wasn't even Jesus' hope. His hope was to create a kingdom in our hearts. Acts chapter 14 verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you may know him, he was suffered mightily and eventually died at the hands of the Nazis in World War II. He said this: suffering, then, is the true is the badge of true discipleship. The historian Kenneth Scott. Lauderette says this, no other faith of mankind, religious or political, has quite so extensive a record of violent, bitter opposition to its growth than the Christian church. Think about it. Go all the way back to our very first family, Cain and Abel. Abel, who represented the life of God, murdered by the one who represented the life of Satan. It's always been true from the very first family all the way through. And that is exactly what Jesus is getting at here. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 35, he actually uses that from the blood of Abel to Zacharias, he said. You slew between the temple and the altar. You slew him. Incidentally, Abel to Zacharias. Abel, A, Z, Zacharias, from A to Z, they've murdered everyone. Every prophet that came along, every man of God who spoke from God's own voice, slaughtered. You remember Stephen? Stephen even said that in Acts chapter seven, verse 52. What did he accuse them of? Here, I'll quote, which of the prophets have your fathers not persecuted? You go all the way back to Moses and they're grumbling about him behind his back and all he was trying to do was speak life into them. You've brought us out here to kill us. We'd rather die in slavery. That's exactly what the world would say to us. You try to lead them to the promised land and what does the world say? You're just trying to set I'd rather live in slavery to my sin. Just give me a piece of bread already and let me die in the wilderness. Look at David and read the Psalms about those that attacked him and his enemies in the flesh and even in the spirit. Look at Elijah and he runs and sits under a tree from Jezebel, I mean, the guy just mowed down 850 false prophets and he's terrified of this one woman. Well, it was Jezebel. You read about Jeremiah? Jeremiah is beaten, put in the stocks, thrown down into a well of mud and and left for a long time. Threatened with execution, eventually was martyred. Isaiah, there's a a historian, Justin Martyr, is where we actually get the the name of Martyr. Justin Martyr wrote a book about all the persecution that took place throughout all the centuries of Christianity. Now this was the first century that Justin Martyr wrote this, but he wrote about Isaiah, who tells about In the prophet Isaiah's time of them cutting out a sword out of wood, and then they laid Isaiah down and cut him in two with a wooden sword. I think that's who the writer of Hebrews was referring to when they say some were sawn asunder. In fact, Hebrews 11 says, Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains. These are the shoulders that we stand on. And we're silent. When we're silent, we mute their lives. This is why Jesus says in this that, look at what he says, verse 12. I'm crying, I can't see. <clears throat> it's so dark up here anyway. And I'm old. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Do you see what he does? Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the sons of God. All of a sudden, I'm embraced into the family of God himself. That's wonderful, Amen. But you know what else is wonderful? The very last one, He allows us to have our identity not just in Him, but in our generation. He gives us the opportunity to have our identity with the great cloud of witnesses. The 6,000 years of human history where men have experienced persecution for christ likeness. Now we belong to each other. You go into the New Testament, Peter, he preaches in Acts chapter two, and 3,000 people come and we say, man, what's awesome. Why can't we experience that? Well, I don't know why we don't keep reading where Peter and John are arrested that day and thrown into prison for that. Or why in Acts chapter five, the same exact same thing happens and they're thrown into prison and they say, don't you ever mention a word of this Jesus again. But this time, we're going to beat you within an inch of your life. And each of them get 39 stripes. And it says they walk away rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer the stripes of Jesus. The same thing Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. What is the what are the result of suffering? Is rejoicing. Why? Because my spirit is alive now. My spirit can rejoice in the midst of suffering. But we're too busy living in the flesh. We're terrified. You know the thing that robs us of our joy the most? Fear. You know, fear is a product of the flesh, not the spirit. He said, man, I don't want to suffer. Who would? But you know what? We begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness more. We begin to pursue that more and more. That becomes to just absolutely control our craving to want more and more of Jesus where that overshadows the fear of persecution or what somebody in this world is going to say about it. When I care more about what Jesus says than I care about what the cubicle beside me says... reality is that those that live godly will suffer just like Jesus. But it is Jesus in them that suffers. And it's the Jesus in them that will rise again. There's some reasons why, and I'm almost done. There's reasons why I believe that this is absent in our life. is because we as Christians have cut ourselves off. I'm going to be political for just a moment. Not really. But if you look around in America, we, regardless of what revisionists say, we were built on Christian principles. And because of that, we've attracted Christians from all over the world to come here to experience and express their faith respectively. And and as a result of that, Christians... Real Christians have been the majority of our country for most of its existence. Sadly, that's not true anymore. So while that's not true, we've been able to live, and not and in the South, some of you know this, the people you work with, you just assume they're Christians. Because most people are we don't have to have those conversations because we can say jesus and people all around us are saying oh yeah this is the church i go to and oh yeah and the conversation's pretty easy that's beginning to be less and less common we're losing that strength that came from being the majority we used to think that was faith it wasn't it was it was comfort it was easy it's not going to be easy for very much longer so what we've done is we've huddled ourselves up in our churches. We found a lot of contentment. We found a lot of comfort. We found a lot of peace being together. But when it comes to, you know, eight years typically right now is the time in your life when once you become a Christian, you no longer have, in eight years, you don't have any unsaved friends anymore. Why? Because Christianity is so good at attracting people into it and then cutting yourself off from the outside world. That's not Christianity. Christianity. That's a cult. It's not the Jesus It's not the Christianity that Jesus teaches us about. But that's why we have very little long-lasting fruit. It's because we've not had to be tested. We've not had to share our faith. We've just assumed. Secondly, I believe that there's a lot of silent Christianity today. You know, it's my personal faith. I have my own thing with Jesus. And we don't talk about that in polite. You know that. We don't talk about politics or religion, right? Those, are, those things should be in the Bill of Rights. We, we're not, we don't, polite company doesn't talk about religion. Because what will they think about us? So we're just going to keep it private to ourselves. I mean, is silent Christianity Christianity at all? Thirdly, I think, and this is the biggest reason, the church isn't radiating Christ likeness, is because it terrifies us to share our faith. We we so live like the world, we're not convinced of the empowerment that's already in us, so we're very reluctant to. Step out there and talk about Jesus. Because what if they ask a question I don't know? What, what if I say something and I mess up? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? We're not walking in the boldness that comes from the Spirit. So, I say all of that to say this. In our motivations, we should fear their hell more than we fear our loss of comfort. Somewhere or another, we as Christians have got to gain. Listen, if I don't share my faith and I believe in the imminent return of Jesus, I don't think we I know we've never been closer than we are this moment. Every opportunity may be the last one. And we've got to learn to fear hell for people. Or, or maybe we don't believe in that anymore. The fact is, the church must be persecuted or the church isn't the church at all. A hundred years after Jesus said this, there was an early church father, Tertullian. You've probably heard of him, maybe not, doesn't matter. But he was asked a hundred years from the Sermon on the Mount, a guy came to him, he was relatively a new Christian, but he comes to this church father and he says... You know, it's starting to have a lot of persecution at his work. People were not shopping with him anymore, and he was starting to experience this economic decline. And he said, he said, Pastor, what must I do? I mean, I have to live. <laughs> and Tertullian said, Do you? What great advice. Do you? What's the most important thing to you? Your comfort or Christ-likeness being produced through you? I think we need to pray. I think we need to repent. Up until this one, we love all the blessings. This one's hard, and I'm just trying to prepare us. I think these days are coming where, where it's going to, there's going to be a great weeding And we need to be ready to share our faith and hold on, hold firm. What's that? Hebrews 11, 12. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let's cast aside every weight, every sin that clings to us so tightly and run with endurance the race that was set before us. I don't know what persecution looks like. I know what I don't want it to look like. But I want Christ more than my comfort. And not just for me, through me, through you. So blessed are you, are those of us who are persecuted, but individually. They hated Jesus, and if He's coming through you, they'll hate you too. Lord, I just thank you for Your Word, and not 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 really. I don't like it, but I know that there's a blessing, and I think of the the blessing is the kingdom, and uh, and that's ultimately what we want. This the longest life on earth doesn't even blip on the radar of eternity. And so I pray, Lord, that we would live with your kingdom at hand. Help us to love you supremely. Help us to put your words in our mouth. Lord, I pray that you would help us to carve out territory in the world and not worry so much about how we're going to be received, but but how your kingdom is being manifested through us. So, Lord, may we be May we be the people of God so that we can reveal. And I just pray that you would forgive us where we have failed so many opportunities. But Lord, may we begin today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.